we come with, with reverence and awe into your holy presence. You are God and there is none like you. You are the Lord of all the heavens and all the earth. And you sent your only begotten son to die in the stead of sinners like us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way, but you have laid on him the iniquity of us all. We pray, Father, that people in this hour downstairs, our little ones, people in this hour in this room, people with us online, all over the world today where the name of Christ is lifted up, may people believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Many of us have, and we're looking up to you too now and praying that your word would speak to us in power. Instruct us in your truth. Instruct us in your ways. Teach us the things you want us to know. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So when we're, we're in this crazy book called the book of Revelation, there's, there's literally no other book like it in the Bible. Like if you do First Kings, there's another one kind of like it. It's called Second Kings. And there's First and Second Chronicles and there are historical books. If you do... Uh, you know, one psalm, there's a whole bunch more psalms. But the book of Revelation is in a unique place. Other books have apocalyptic stuff. Other books have visions that God gave to people by which God communicated his truth. But only the book of Revelation has the extended apocryphal stuff, the extended visions, a series of them. And only the book of Revelation is so global and meta-narrative, covering from the first coming of Christ all the way down to the second coming of Christ and what it's going to be like all in between there. So it is a very unique book. It's a big picture book. It's a powerful, revealing book. So you'll know what's going on on the planet. That's what it's for. So you'll know what's going on in the world. Now, last week, we were in chapters 6 and 7. In chapter 6, some awful stuff is happening on the planet. And God tells us what it's going to look like between Christ's two comings. There's going to be wars. There's going to be destruction. There's going to be blood. There's going to be murder. There's going to be bad things on the planet. Those are some of the worst, meaning anything less worse than them, less bad than them, will also be happening. It's going to be bad between the first and second coming. The earth is not a friendly place. It's a hard place to live. That was in chapter 6. Then in chapter 7, the question is asked, end of chapter 6, the question is asked, and when we get to the last day and there's judgment and God scrutinizes our lives and sees all our sins, who can stand? Now our chapter that we're finishing today, chapter 7, answers that question. Here's who can stand. Here's who can stand all that death and destruction on earth, here's who can stand at the last day. And the answer is, we saw it last week, those who are sealed. John sees some people like get a seal on them. And the seal is an evidence of the Holy Spirit's ministry in your life. When you become a believer, the Holy Spirit regenerates you. He gives you a new heart. When you become a believer, the Holy Spirit keeps you believing and keeps you repenting and keeps you following Christ. In that sense, you are sealed into the kingdom of God. You are sealed in among the people of God. You will not depart. You will not turn away. You will not go back. You will keep believing. You will keep repenting. You will keep following Jesus Christ. You are sealed. But then the book asks, how many sealed? And what's the composition of people who were sealed? And that's where we come to today, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 4. And John says to us, and I heard the number of the sealed. All right, it's up there. It's not in the back. That's okay. I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. So here we get 
Don't know if you're aware of this, if you're very familiar with the book of Revelation. We get that famous number, the 144,000. And we're asking the $144,000 question. Who are they? Who are these 144,000 who are sealed? And right after this it says, actually there's more than that, because then he sees a great multitude from every kindred and tribe and nation and tongue who are also sealed. So what is this? Who are the people who are sealed starting with the 144,000? Now, if you're a futurist, that means you interpret the book of Revelation as being all future. It's going to be like at the end of the end of the end of this church age, then you believe the 144 are Jewish evangelists who are going to lead lots of people on the planet to Christ. But if you're an inter-Adventist like me, and I'm trying to persuade you, trying to persuade you, if you're an inter-Adventist and you believe the book of Revelation is about the whole time between the two Advents, the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, it's about the whole time, then what does it mean to you? Who are the 144,000? And there are several slight variations on this view, but here it is. So part of the problem in those seven churches in Asia Minor was persecution. Who was persecuting them? Rome. Who was at Rome's right hand in persecuting them? Who ratted them out to Rome? The Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders said to Rome, you know, you think they're part of us, so they get a pass for their religion because they're Jewish and we have an arrangement with you. But they're really not Jewish. We reject them. And then Rome came down on the Christians because the Jewish leaders ratted them out to Rome. So some of the question in that day was, and, and, and persecution was fierce, and people are wondering, how are we to view the Jewish people who turned us into Rome? And are many Jewish people going to be saved? And the answer of the text is, oh yeah, 144,000. It doesn't mean there's going to be exactly 144,000 is their big number. Like, what's your big number? If you want to say there was a lot of something, what do you say? There was a million of them. There was a billion of them. Million has become the new billion. Uh, inflation. And in their day, in their day, it was 144,000 was one of their big numbers. So this is just saying a large number of Hebrew people are going to come to saving faith between Christ's first and second advents. So some of the point of that is pray for that. Maybe instead of who's your one, it ought to be who's your David, who's your Saul, right? Who, who's the Hebrew person God has brought into your life? And you're loving them and praying for them and seeking to lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's going to be lots of evangelism of Jewish people on the planet, loving them, drawing them to Christ, no room for anti-Semitism. Christianity does not produce any anti-Semitism. We love our Jewish friends on the planet, and many of them are going to believe, so so in hope. The guy who was the best man at our wedding, guess what his name was, is? Lon Solomon. Lon Solomon, a Jewish believer. Yeah. The, the, so what is, oh, that's right, it's what he says. They won't know this. They think you're saying, so what? No. no, in his sermons, he would always preach for a while, and then he'd get to a point and he'd say, now, so what? And then he'd give you the applications. Yeah, that Lon Solomon, he was the best man. Inside these four walls, there have been and there are presently, as part of our church, Jewish believers, 
converted to their Messiah. So the text is saying, oh, let me tell you what's going to happen between the two advents. Lots and lots and lots of Jewish people are going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, a great number. So let's evangelize our Jewish friends. But then those friends become a great multitude from every kindred, tribe, and tongue. So it's not just Jewish people. It's also people from, and you start naming the country, and you start naming the languages, and you start naming the lands, and people are going to come from all those places and believe on the Lord Jesus so that at the last day, it's this huge, huge number. And all those are the ones who are sealed. How did they stick with Christ through all that? How can they stand in God's judgment at the last day? Here's how. They were all sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's like you open an envelope, stuck you in there, sealed it shut, and you're in God's hand, kept for the final day. So, those are the seals. Now we finished last week's message. That was supposed to be in last week's message, but that nasty clock got me. So I'm going to skip by chapters 8 through 11 real fast. What do we have in chapters 8 through 11? We have seven trumpets. They blow the trumpet, there's a judgment. Second trumpet, judgment. Seven trumpets, seven judgments. It's just like what we had with the seven seals. You open a seal, there's judgment. Open a seal, there's judgment. Bad stuff's going to happen on the planet between the first and second coming of Jesus. And then we come to the seven trumpets. It's an overlay. Same time period, same idea. There's going to be bad things happening, and they're described from slightly different vantage points. I'm skipping over that to the delight of some of you and the chagrin of others. And we're landing today at chapter 12. Oh my, chapter 12. It's probably the best chapter in the book of Revelation. Like chapter 4 was really amazing. That was the one with the throne room. That's where we go up into the presence of God and see everything from a heavenly vantage point. We get back there again in chapter 12, and it's amazing. It's amazing. It's cosmic. It's global. It's a meta-narrative. One author says Revelation 12 is the center and the key to the entire book. So we're there in chapter 12, cosmic chapter 12. And what's in chapter 12? There's a woman and a dragon. Say, what's that? I hope you're asking what's that. We're going to talk about what's that. There's a woman and there's a dragon. Let's start to read about it. Revelation 12, 1 and 2. And a great sign appeared in heaven. So John's having a vision. A vision is like a waking dream. It's an audiovisual experience. There's not really this going on in heaven, but he sees it. If there's people around him, they don't see it. It's a vision. And it's a sign. He's telling us again, I'm going to teach you things that I'm seeing, but they, they, they're symbols of other realities, and we'll see that they are. So a great sign appeared in heaven. Well, what, what was it? It was a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So oh, what's the question we want to answer? Who's the woman? What's the sign? And you might tend to think, well, especially if you've read ahead of this before and you kind of know this woman's going to give birth to the Lord Jesus, you might tend to think, all right, this is Mary. But it's not Mary. Mary gave birth to the Lord Jesus. She, he was virgin born of her, born of the woman, born in the fullness of time. 
But we know from the clues John gives us, this is not Mary. The clues are when she is clothed with the sun and the moon and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Go right to Genesis 37, 9, where the sun and the moon and the stars represent the patriarch Jacob, his wife, and the 12 tribes of Israel. So this woman is the people of God, old covenant, through whom the Messiah would come. Why did God call out Abraham? Why did God create that nation? In order that he might have a people ready to receive the Messiah when he appeared and to proclaim him to the nations. And so this woman is the old covenant people of God representing uh, Jacob, his wife, the 12 tribes of Israel, and she, that nation, the people of God, was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Anybody been there during a birth? I've been there to observe four births, the birth of our four sons, and uh, there was crying, and, and there was, uh, what's the other word used? There were birth pains. There was agony. We went through this thing called Lamaze, and they taught you, there's no pain. You're not allowed to call it pain. It's discomfort. It was screaming. All right, so it's pain. It's a, so we're supposed to picture that. That's what this woman that he sees is doing. She's about to give birth. So she is the old covenant people of Israel. But notice, no sooner than John sees her than Revelation 12, 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. The Greek word, New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word is dragon. It's kind of cool. From which we get draconian measures. Have you heard of draconian measures? Like, oh man, they're taking draconian measures over there. Yeah, it's like dragon-like or devil-like. And John sees a great red dragon. This is going to be the devil. Now, let me tell you, the devil's not actually a dragon. It's a vision. The dragon is portraying the devil. And it's got seven heads and ten horns. That does not mean Satan actually has seven heads and ten horns. All right? It's portraying him. And on his head, there are seven diadems. That is our ancient foe who seeks to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. You're not up to him. That's who this is. No sooner than the old covenant people are in labor pains to give birth to baby Jesus, the devil's there. The devil shows up, and what did he do? He had a political ruler persecute the people of God, and let's kill all the sons this age and below so we can try and kill the Messiah. But they didn't get Jesus. All right, here's my next thing. Let's get the Messiah out in the wilderness, and after he fasts for 40 days, I'm going to tempt them all through those 40 days and try and get him to derail the plan of going to the cross and dying for our sins. So the devil's trying to thwart this. Soon as the Messiah is about to be born, the devil's there. He's trying to deal with this thing. He's trying to do damage control. And I just want to step back for a second and say to you, and you need to know this, this is the real world. This is what's going on. This is the real universe. 
There is a devil. God created beings called humans and God created beings called angels and a whole bunch of them rebelled with their leader, the devil. And now we have elect angels who are holy and fallen angels who are evil and we're talking about the leader of fallen angels and he's a very real being. You need to know about him. God tells you about him in the Bible. So the old covenant people of God, pregnant with Jesus Christ, the dragon, the ancient foe, shows up to work some woe. What happens next? Revelation 12, 5. She gave birth to a male child. Who's that? That's our lion of the tribe of Judah. That's our lamb. Remember, lamb, 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 over and over in the book of Revelation. That's our male child. That's our lamb. How do we know it's Jesus? Because it's described as one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Well, that comes straight out of other texts in the Bible. But notice what happens next. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne 34 times, throne, 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 throne. What's that mean? He was caught up to God. Well, that means he lived a righteous life and kept God's law in the place of his people. He died a sinless, atoning, sacrificial death for the justification of his people. He was buried. He rose to overcome and be victor over sin and death. He appeared to many. And then what happened next? He ascended to the Father where he sits now in session, all authority and power being given unto him. So where are we seeing Jesus in his earthly and heavenly life? Well, he's caught up to God on his throne. That's Jesus' ascension. Do you remember back in chapter 5 in the throne room where Jesus appears as a lamb having been slain, yet he's alive. This is that same moment. Here's the Lord Jesus caught up to God and to his throne. What happens next? Revelation 12, 7. Now war. At that point, there's war. When Jesus got up there, there's war. There's war in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. Praise God. The lamb beats the dragon. And there was no longer, now pay attention to this, there was no longer any place for them, the dragon and his horde, in heaven. All right, so from creation to this point, where's the devil been? Well, he's appeared in the presence of God regularly. Read the book of Job. We learn a lot about Satan and his demons in the book of Job. And periodically, he was required to appear in the presence of God and give an account. Where have you been? To and fro on the earth. Have you considered my servant Job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me add him and I'll show you what he's really made of. Periodically, the devil has appeared there in, in the presence of God. But at this point, we're told Christ ascends. He arrives in heaven, the victor. There's a big battle. The dragon and the angels are defeated, and there's no longer any place for them in heaven. What does that mean? Well, let's read on. Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. Genesis 3, the serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Remember in Genesis 3, he was the deceiver of Adam and Eve. First Timothy 2 says, and the woman being deceived fell in transgression. He was the deceiver. And what he did there in the micro, he does ever since in the macro. What's his job description? Deceive. Try to keep people from Christ try to turn people against the true and living God. 
the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. This is what happened after Christ ascended. Jesus foresaw this in Luke 10. It says, I saw Satan falling from heaven. Again in John 16, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So there, there came a change in the career of Satan after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Exactly what is that change? Well, we don't know what all it means, but here's a part of it, Revelation 12:10. Let's read on. And I heard a loud voice in heaven, Revelation 12, 10, there it is. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. See, Christ is king now. He's enthroned. And the authority, all authority in heaven and earth, of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. So we think this is what the text is saying. I think this is probably right. There came a change in the devil's career at that point. What had he been prior to that? He'd been the accuser, the accuser, the accuser. Where do we see him in the book of Job, in God's presence accusing? Yeah, Job, he only follows you because you bless him. Let me add him. We'll see how he follows you. And he accuses and accuses and accuses. And his incessant accusations apparently came to a termination point when Jesus took the throne after his ascension and said, we're not having that here anymore. You're cast out. And now we get what's in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation. And no one can bring a charge against God's elect, not angels or principalities or powers. This is what John's picturing for us. This is what God pictured for John. So Christ's death and resurrection his ascension, have banished the devil from God's presence no more to accuse the people of God. I know, hallelujah. Is that sweet? I mean, it would be so easy for the devil to accuse me in God's presence, right? Like when he's all done his accusing, I could say, ha, you don't even know the half of it. You missed the really bad parts. But apparently there's no more accusing in God's presence, not angels, not principalities, not powers. Furthermore, he knows now, he saw the cross, he's heard the preaching of the gospel, now he gets it. Oh, they're justified in God's presence. He sees them as holy and unblameable and unreprovable because of the blood of Christ. So why should I bother accusing them? He's just gonna say, no, they're holy. No, they're cleansed, no, they're washed. And he says as much in Revelation 12, 11. It says as much. And they, that is believers, have conquered him, his accusations, his temptations. They've conquered them by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not pull back. They did not say, oh, I'm going to diminish Jesus and just kind of go along to get along. I'm going to choose the easier life and not really live like a Christian or I'm sick of this. What kind of God would let me suffer like this? How, why would he allow this thing into my life? I'm tired of him. I'm done with him. I'm going back. I'm not a Christian anymore. And I've had Christians in this building tell me that. I'm done with him. But not the ones who are sealed. 
Not the ones who have the anointing, not the ones who are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, not the ones who are given fresh faith and repentance so they keep on following Jesus Christ. They conquer him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, they keep talking to Juan's. It doesn't really mean so much that you're out there being a witness. Please do. But it means when you're questioned, are you one of them? You say, yes. I'm a believer. I can do no other. For they loved not their lives. And here's how far it went with some of them. Even unto death. This is, this is for those churches in Asia Minor. This is not just for people down in the end time where it's all going to happen in seven, and seven years and down. No, this is for those people and everybody in between the two advents so they would understand, here's why some of your loved ones are now dead from persecution. Here's why fiery trials are befalling you and you're tempted to think this is some strange thing. It, it's because there's this devil and He's been the accuser of the brethren, but you have conquered him and not loved your lives even unto death. My brothers and sisters, under the blood of Christ, let's be conquerors, more than conquerors, amen? Let's love not our lives, if necessary, even unto death. And what comes next, Revelation 12, 12? Therefore, rejoice, O heavens. The devil's been cast out. He's been thrown down. So everybody up in heaven, you who dwell there, rejoice. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Because he knows his time is short. Here's wisdom to know that you live in a universe, you live in a world inhabited by an angry devil. He hates God, he hates your soul. He wants you to spend eternity with him in the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. He wants to separate you from God. The Bible says he roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to eat you for lunch and spit you out. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, the devil has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. What's that mean? What do you do when you sift wheat? Well, you remove the wheat, the good stuff from the chaff, the bad stuff, and you separate things. And Satan has asked for you that he might separate you from your faith, that he might separate you from me. But I have prayed for you that your faith, the thing he wants to separate you from, would fail not. And all who have the seal, the Holy Spirit, their faith fails not through thick and thin. And so rejoice, O heavens, he's been cast down. Woe to you on the earth. Why all the bad stuff in the whole book of Revelation? This is why. Why all the war? Why all the blood? Why all the persecution? Why all the terror? Why all the murders? This is why. We're fallen, but also the devil has come down in great wrath. He knows his days are numbered. Revelation 12, 17. Next verse, please. Then the dragon became furious with the woman. Now it's the new covenant people of God. Because remember, they've given birth. The old covenant people gave birth to Christ. 
And now Christ is giving birth to his seed, his believers. It's the new covenant people now. The dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. And they're identified by these terms, on those who keep the commandments of God. It's a present tense in the Greek, who are keeping. They don't do it perfectly. They do it falteringly. They do it repentingly. They do it with lots of disappointment in themselves. Why did I do that again? Lord, I come back to you. Thank you for your blood that cleanses me. They do it with lots of confession of sin, 1 John. But they keep the commandments of God substantially so you can know, all right, that's a real believer. And they hold to the testimony of Jesus. How does John identify the real believers who have been sealed? He does it in two ways here. One is, well, they're keeping God's commandments. Their lives have been changed. They have new hearts. The law of God's written in their heart. And they're holding to the testimony. Yes, I'm a believer in Christ. Do your worst if you must. This explains so much. This is what's going on in the world. This is the real world. This is where you and I live. There's a, a devil who is furious with the people of God. He, if you're a Christ follower, he's furious with you. He's not roaming about like a kitty, the pearl on your lap. A roaring lion seeking who may devour. We live in a war zone, my brothers and sisters in Christ. There are fiery darts flying around your head. There are temptations that come from a furious devil who never slumbers and never sleeps, but by the grace of God, we can conquer. So chapter 12 is cosmic, man. Chapters four and five, the throne room, and chapter 12, they're like the best, juiciest parts of the book of Revelation. Go home and read them today. But now we're gonna get to chapter 13. Can you believe it? We really are. We're going to get to chapter 13. And it adds more that's very important if we're to understand what in the world is going on down here in the planet. In chapter 12, there's a dragon. But he's not alone. In chapter 13, there are two beasts who are with the dragon. So there's a dragon and there are two beasts. Who are the two beasts? I'm hoping you really want to know that. You all want to know that? We do. All right, that's a good answer. The first beast, Revelation 13, 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, ten horns, that beast can hurt you, seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. Who's that? Go back to Daniel chapters 1 through 7. So much of the book of Revelation becomes easy and clear when you find the right place in the Old Testament that it's working from. And this goes right back to Daniel 1 through 7 where similar beasts represent evil kingdoms that oppose the people of God. So in that day, the day of those seven churches in Asia Minor, who was this evil beast? It was, it was Rome, but, but it's the beast behind Rome. And, and who is that? Uh, the beast. Let's go down to verses uh, 13, verses 5 through 8. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. In Rome, Caesar's God, haughty and blasphemous. In 
nations today, emperor worship, or this is God, or that is God, blasphemous words. And it was allowed, notice twice here, it's given, three times in this verse, it was given a mouth. It was allowed to make war. Authority was given to it. Remember, that's one of the recurring phrases. It was given, it was given, it was given. They can't do one thing unless the one who sits on the throne allows them to. And it was given to this beast, the right-hand man of Satan, a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. It was allowed to make war on the saints and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on the earth who are outside of Christ will worship it. What is this? Then it was Rome. And since then it's any other government that persecutes the people of God. Now, somebody stopped me in the last hour and talked to me, so let me clarify something. I'm not trying to say there, there are like our government's the good government. And, but there are these bad governments out there. Certainly our government's better than a lot, but I'm not claiming that it's like the kingdom of God. It's not. The, the, the gospel is the kingdom of God. The Bible is the kingdom of God. There are better governments and worse governments, but there are governments on this earth right now that viciously persecute Christians. We have soft persecution in the U.S. They have bloody persecution in so many places. I read this week, according to a 2020 report from the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, that our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in Burma, China, Eritrea, India, Iran, Nigeria, North Korea, Pakistan, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Syria, and Vietnam have it bad. And then one notch down, but also pretty bad, those in Afghanistan, Algeria, Bahrain, the Central African Republic, Cuba, Egypt, Indonesia, Iraq, Kazakhstan, Malaysia, Sudan, and Turkey, bad. We live in a kind of little peaceful oblivion bubble here in, in America where it's like persecution. There's no persecution on the planet today, is there? Oh, my brothers and sisters, it's fierce. Connect to the organization Voice of the Martyrs. Follow that and find out how fierce it is. You remember, excuse me, earlier in this series, it's been mentioned twice, in fact, once with the wrong number, once with the right number. 19 people today die as martyrs. 19 people tomorrow die as martyrs. 19 people the next day, on average, die as martyrs. It's bad on the planet. And that's the beast. That's government at its worst, government turned against the people of God, government backed by, empowered by, inflamed by the dragon. Bad government persecuting Christians is always the dragon's right hand. But it's not just bad government, that's beast number one. But there's a beast number two, let's look at it, Revelation 13, 11, and 12. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon, there was a hiss when it spoke. It exercises all the authority of the first beast. Government backs it up. And it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, worship the government whose mortal wound was healed. It is believed that this is false religion. So go back to the day of the seven churches in Asia Minor. Why were they being persecuted? Rome and the Jewish authorities who hated Jesus. And it's always that way. False religion 
backed by the power of government, inflaming government to persecute, and that is all over our planet today. Who is it today? And I just have to say this because it's the truth. It's radical Islam. And the governments and places where that is found, it is radical Islam. In almost every one of those countries, except North Korea, almost all the others, radical Islam is the problem. And they're the ones putting to death the 19, the 19, the 19, along with North Korea. It's always, persecution at its worst, is government and false religion inflamed by the devil to bring economic persecution against the people of God and even to kill the people of God. Let's jump down to Revelation 13, 18. We'll finish with this verse. This calls for wisdom. So he's saying, be wise about this. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. What a day. We had 144,000, and now we have 666. Two famous numbers from the book of Revelation. And how many of you want to know what the 666 means? You have to come back next week. Serious. I didn't have time to finish it in the first hour, so I have to stop in this hour where I stopped in that hour. So you have to come back next week. Slide man, take us to the last slide, please. Here's what I want you to take home with you today. This is the world we live in. This is the real universe. This is what's really going on. There's heavenly warfare, and that's why there's earthly warfare, and you're in it. There's no little safe place on the planet where there's no persecution. It's soft here. It's bloody in some other places, but it's everywhere because there's heavenly warfare, and so there's earthly warfare. You're in it. You're thinking, maybe I'll become a believer. What will that be like? Well, here's something will happen. You'll be engaged in warfare. So how's that sound? It's a holy war, and you can be soldiers of the cross in that holy war. Here's the next thing to say as we close. There is a last day. We keep seeing that. We saw it again. There is a last day. You'll be there. And God has given you this day to prepare your soul to be there in Christ. If you're not in Christ, I'm praying. I'm inviting you. I'm pleading with you that you would come to Jesus Christ now. So our team has a seal. It's the Holy Spirit putting you in God's envelope and sealing it and keeping you to the last day. The other team has a seal. It's 666. We're going to see what that talks about. You want to arrive at the last day with God's seal. You want to arrive at the last day in Christ, under the blood of Christ. And all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus. Turn to him and be saved. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray for people in this room and people hearing elsewhere that those who are far from the Lord Jesus would believe on him and find in him everlasting life. Oh, Father, have mercy upon those whose hearts have been hardened, whose hearts have been blinded, whose eyes have been blinded by the deceiver. Open their eyes to see the beauty of Christ the wonders of redemption through his shed blood. Would you draw people to Jesus in this hour? We pray in his name. Amen.